Let our kiddos be dismissed for their time of worship, and we're going to dive right into the reading of God's Word as we continue in the study of Joseph, reading from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When he saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. When Michelle and I ministered in Florida, we became very acquainted with uh, friends of ours that pastored in a a local town. Um, Terry was his name. Terry and I became very, very close friends. Uh, Terry and I got together once a week and would enjoy coffee together or a meal together, encourage one another, held each other accountable in our ministries, and then Terry shared with me, we, Terry was in, a, we were both in associate ministries actually at that time, 
that he had received a call from his former youth pastor, uh, the man that led him to Jesus and had mentored him and discipled him, was now pastoring in Flint, Michigan at a very large church and wanted Terry to come and oversee his entire youth ministry program. And Terry said, I can't wait. I'm so excited about it. We're going up in a few weeks to talk to the church and, and begin that process of candidating there. Please pray with me. I really, I want this. And even should this is my dream come true. And it worked. He went up. The church was thrilled about him. The pastor and he had that relationship already built. And they were excited about starting that ministry together. So I helped Terry load that truck and move and, and head to Michigan. Well, then it wasn't a few months later that God called us to our first senior pastorate in Virginia. And I got asked, you know, the new guy always does, would you direct our youth camp this year? And, and I did. And I thought there's no better person that I know of than to call as my evangelist than Terry. And so Terry came down from Michigan and spent the weekend at my church and spoke for my church. And then we took off to youth camp together and he spent the week with me. And every day he would just talk about how he was living out his dream. The excitement that he had that was going on in the youth ministry and the program there. But more than anything was the excitement that he had of working with that pastor. This man that had led him to the Lord, who had mentored him, who had discipled him, and he just often would say, boy, if you could just see his vision, if you could just see what he does, if you, and you, know, you could just feel the excitement in Terry's voice as he talked about this pastor and the ministries that were happening there. That fall, I'd been at my church about a year, and we actually had a church event that was going on, and we're ready to walk out the door. And the phone rang. And usually as I'm walking out the door, I don't answer. But I felt like, ah, see, it's probably somebody that's coming to the event tonight uh, needs something and a better answer. So I answered the phone quickly, and it was Terry. And Terry was distraught. Sean, I've got to talk to you. I told Michelle, I said, go on to the church. I'm going to be there a little bit late. Terry said, Sean, after I got here, as the youth pastor, he said, our children's ministry exploded. Um, a lot of families that had youth started bringing their youth kids, and now they also had younger children. And so we hired a young lady as our youth past, uh, children's pastor. And he said, um, this morning, my board came to my office to tell me that my pastor and that children's pastor have been having an affair for about seven months. They were both leaving their families and heading off together. This man that had led him to Jesus, this man who had mentored him and discipled him, this man who had called him to work under him and do ministry together, has now lost everything. A career, a job, a calling, his wife, his family, and also has destroyed another family in the in ministry in the process. I would give anything if I could tell you that's the only story like that I've ever heard from a pastor's family. But unfortunately, for some reason in our lifetime, it seems like 
Michelle and I have had to minister to so many who have fallen into temptation. And they've allowed that temptation to overcome them. And they've allowed that temptation then to plant its seed and grow. And then they gave in. And then sin is birthed. We're going to look at a verse that tells us how that happens. And, and they destroy everything in their lives. Now, fortunately for some, we've been able to see a lot of great restoration happen and, and bring, brought back to the Lord, even some families restored. But most of the time, it just ends in death and destruction. Temptation. Maybe you're like that man that said, I can resist anything except temptation. That's where most of us are. And here's young Joseph who comes into the, this place of prominence. We've got to think that, you know, we've been living out this dream through him and, and how he felt God's plan was imparted into his life in a dream. And so God's dream for him was to do something. And he was going to do that no matter what it was, no matter what the hardships. And so his father loves him. His brothers hate him. They, they try to kill him. They decide that's not a good plan. They throw him in this pit. How tempting would it have been to just quit right there? And last week we looked at that. Don't quit in the pit. Get out of the pit. You know, um, I actually had some last week who said, well, I guess I got to just keep living in my pit. No, 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 that's not the idea. Get out of there. Joseph got out of that pit. Okay? Now he needed help. Sometimes you got to get help to get out of your pit. But he had no intention of staying there. Even though he didn't quit while he was there, he didn't stay there. And so Joseph gets out of the pit. He's sold by his brothers into slavery. These Midianites, they take him into Egypt and they sell him there. And he ends up in this house. And I appreciate my wife reading that scripture, that story. He sold into the house of Potiphar. I said I almost named this sermon the unnamed woman uh, because we never know her name. We don't know anything else about her um, other than this little story. But she is the wife of Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, and he um, would be in a high level of prominence in Egypt. And so he brings Joseph in. And as the story tells, Joseph does what a Christian man, in my opinion, ought to do. And because of being that kind of man in integrity and of morals and standards, he rises in prominence in that home to where everything in the home is under his control, except one thing, Potiphar's wife, which is the way it ought to be, right? Well, Potiphar's wife didn't see it that way. And so she begins to tempt him. We live with this every day. All of us face temptations. Now, not everybody faces the same temptations. Mine are different than yours. Yours are different than someone else's, but none of us are exempt from the fact that we have temptations. And probably the temptations that you had as a young child are not the same temptations you have now as, as an adult. Maybe you don't even have the same temptations you had a year ago or a week ago. I don't know. But temptation is a part of life. I'd like for us to look at a passage of scripture in James. Uh, I believe James gives us the best way to overcome these temptations, the best way for us to battle through them and to conquer them. You know, Jesus called Satan the tempter. And so we have an enemy, and he is tempting us. He is fighting against us. This is a battle. And so James here gives us a passage in James 1. I'm going to start at verse 13. 
and look at what James says about temptation in the believer's life. Would you look with me? James chapter 1, starting at verse 13. I love the first word, when. He doesn't say if. He says when tempted. In other words, you will be. Matter of fact, if we went back to uh, the, the very first verses of James 1, we find out who James wrote this book to, and it was believers, to those followers in Jesus Christ. He wasn't writing to people who were still living in sin that you would expect to be dealing with temptation. He's writing to Christian people, committed believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, when you are tempted... When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Now, this, he's given us the definition of where does temptation then come from? How does it happen in the believer's life? Each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire not God, his own evil desire, is dragged away and enticed. So it's first desire. That's the first step in temptation. The enemy knows that. He knows your desires. There's where he's going to tempt you the most. So the first is desire. Then after he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So desire then, as we give in to that desire, now we've conceived this desire into sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James gives us this process. You will be tempted. And it's because of your own desires. And at this point, there's no sin in your life. He's telling you this. And then he says, but when you give in to these desires... Sin is birthed into your life. And sin, if it's not taken care of, will lead to death. And that's exactly what James is telling us. So let's look at some ways that we can resist temptation. I love the last little part. It says, Joseph ran away. When I was running a Christian bookstore just after college, there was a, a group that came out that they, their title of their uh, CD was called Run, Joseph, Run. And I've said that so many times when people have talked to me about being tempted. I'll just look at them and say, run, Joseph, run. As far away as you can get, run. Run from that temptation. We need to be good runners from temptation. All right, so first of all, let's look at this. The very first thing, let's decide what is temptation. What is temptation? And uh, we need to understand exactly what temptation is. And I think that we misunderstand. I think there's a misrepresentation of what temptation is. And one of my favorite authors one time kind of wrote about this, what we believe wrongly about mis and misinterpret about temptation. He says, uh, he says, sometimes we believe we fall into temptation. Sometimes we believe God is disappointed and displeased when we are tempted. Sometimes we believe if we are strongly tempted, it means we are as guilty as if we had actually committed the sin. Sometimes we believe we can overcome all temptation by separation from it. Sometimes we believe when we are spiritually mature, we will no longer be harassed by, mis uh, by temptation. And then he says this, these are all lies. 
and misconceptions about temptation. So we need to fully understand what temptation is. Maybe you relate to some of those things. Maybe you have felt that. Maybe just even the temptation alone, you've felt as guilty as if you had actually committed that sin, or you have felt like God is disappointed in me, or he's angry with me because I've been tempted in some way. Maybe I just tripped and fell into this temptation, you know, and and it had nothing to do with me or anyone else. It just, you know, Bam, there it was. And he says, all these are lies, misconceptions. So what does the scripture say about temptation? Well, James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived at birth, gives birth to sin, and sin full grown gives birth to death. A couple of things this passage in James teaches us about what sin is, Okay. Number one, God does not tempt us to sin. God does not ever tempt us to sin. Why would God want us to sin? That is not God's plan. He did not come to this earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to take on our sin onto the cross and crucify it there so that we may be forgiven by his grace, by his free gift of love that he gave at the cross and forgive us of those sins just to tempt us that we would sin again. Now, I believe God tests us, but God does not tempt us to sin. That is number one. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 explains that God provides us a way out of temptation. God always will find a way to help us to get through that temptation. God does not. And I've heard great saints of God say, well, uh, you know, God's just putting me through this temptation. No, he's not. That is not God. God does not tempt you. James said it. You know, when, when you're tempted, do not say, I'm being tempted by God. I, I would have, I'm, I'm going to enjoy meeting James one day. You know, uh, here's a man that was a half-brother to the Lord Jesus Christ and yet never believed that Jesus was the Messiah until after his resurrection. Well, it's easy to believe then, you know, come on. But you know, there was a nickname that the early church gave to James. They called him Camel Knees. Because he, they said he would pray so often on his knees, they would swell. And, you know, camels, their knees are all big. You know, I thought, what a great nickname to have. Oh, camel knees, you know, that, that he prayed so much, his knees would swell. I want to meet James one day. And, boy, once James became a believer, he didn't, you know, tiptoe around the truth at all. He didn't handle anybody with kid gloves. It's almost like him saying, I'm so angry with myself that I did not believe for so many years. I've got a lot of making up to do, and I can't waste any time. Don't you dare say God is tempting you. That is not God. That is not who he is. All right. The second thing that we learn is this. And this, we hear this all the time, and it's one of those things we need to hear again and again and again and again. And maybe even some of you younger people in here today, have never heard this said. Temptation in itself is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. 
Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, was tempted in every way. And yet, the Bible tells us, and yet lived without any sin. There was no sin to be found in our Lord Jesus. And yet, he was tempted. So, the fact that you're being tempted does not mean you're sinning. The fact that you are tempted really means the opposite. You know, I've tried to encourage people in my life when, when they've said, man, this temptation has just become so overwhelming. Well, you know, that means that you're doing something right and the devil's trying his hardest to overcome you, to defeat you, to beat you. And so he's tempting you more and more and more because you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. Stand firm. If you're not being tempted, the devil doesn't have to fight. Means maybe there's something else wrong. Maybe I'm not living as God wants me to live. There is a, a, a pastor, I, I, I like to listen to sermons. I've got a couple of pastors. I shared this yesterday in our leadership retreat. Um, you know, people really, where do you feel close to God? And I mentioned that my wife, when she's out in nature, that's, that's when she feels close to God. You know, that's, that's her time. I'm very weird in the fact that I've got about four or five preachers that I listen to that really preach good. And man, I feel so close to the Lord when I'm listening to those guys preach, you know. They're humble, but they're powerful in their message. And one's a real good friend, Lenny Lachetti. He was a professor of mine um, when I was in the seminary. Uh, Italian guy, pastored in, in New Jersey. Grew up in gangs in New Jersey and then later became a pastor. And um, first person he ever led to the Lord was his father was an alcoholic and drug addict, and he led his dad to the Lord. And um, he, too, was dealing with drugs and alcohol. He said, I gave my heart to the Lord, but I was still tempted. So he said, my dad and I went to an uh, Alcoholics Anonymous together. And uh, amazing story. But uh, Lenny is just one of my closest friends. I love the guy to death. And he told his little story preaching on temptation, and he said, he said I, when I was a little boy, he said, I, joined this, I got in this bicycle race. You know, and he said, uh, it was about a 10-mile race. And I thought, I can do this. No, no sweat. You, know, you guys right now, you could probably go run like 20 miles without even training, right? You know, I mean. Uh, so he said, I, I got in this race. And he said, man, about three or four miles into it, I'm hurting. I'm really suffering, you know. And I'm behind everybody else. And he said, mile five, um, he said, you came around this one area and it was almost right where the finish line was, but then it jogged off. And he said, if you just cut through the woods right there, you'd get to the finish line. He said, I had fallen so far behind. I'd stopped and rested. And, and he said, fallen so far behind that by the time I got to that little place, I could see through the woods. Some of the people that were first were already coming across the finish line. And I thought, man, I could just slip right through there and nobody would ever, ever know. That's the temptation, right? There's the temptation. Has he done anything wrong yet? Absolutely not. There's the temptation. So he, he, he pictures that. That wasn't a sin. I've not broken any rules. You know, I'm thinking about it. I'm tempted. But boy, the moment that I got off that track... And my desire to finish this race, now in the group that's first, overtook my integrity and I stepped into those woods. Now my desire 
has enticed me to make the action. Sin is, I've broken the rule. And when I got across that finish line, that was wrong. And that's the simplest illustration you can think of to think, I have a temptation. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not being tempted by God, and I have not sinned. This is a temptation, and it's a fight, and it's a battle, but I have not given into it. But when I take that first step, now my desire has birthed sin, and sin brings death. So those two things we need to know. God does not tempt me, and sin is not a temptation. Run, Joseph, run. Joseph knew that God had given him this great plan, this great dream in his life, and he knew that I cannot give in. God, this is not of God. God has not done this to me, and even if I feel tempted, I have not given in to this sin, and I will not do it. All right, so the next thing we've got to learn is this. We know what temptation is. We know what it isn't. Let's look at the second thing. How do we resist? How do we resist temptation? This is the application part. How do we do it? Number, number one, the first thing, we must be pre, make a predetermined decision. Make a predetermined decision about what you will do in temptation. Okay, um, it's kind of like this. Has anybody ever, and I'll say it this way, made your monthly donations to the YMCA or Planet Fitness or any workout place? And I say monthly donations because um, we've done that. Uh, what we're doing is giving them money monthly. We never show up. We're never there. Um, so it's a monthly donation to one of those businesses. Anybody else been there? Somebody once told me, they said, you know, you can't decide... Monday morning that you're going to go work out. You have to predetermine that. You've got, because Monday morning you're going to be tired. You're going to be sleepy. You set that alarm for 5 a.m. or whatever. You're like, no, I'm not going to do this. But if Sunday night you get everything ready, get all your workout stuff ready, your exercise stuff, and, and predetermine, I'm going to do this. I've gotten in bed early. I'm going to get a good night's rest because in the morning I'm not going to feel like doing this. But if I predetermine now, I have a better chance. Okay, I've got like 10% chance of now doing this. <laughs> I actually have an entire message series on the book of James based on exercise. We might do that one time. That would be good. So, uh, you know, how do we, you got to predetermine. The same thing is true with anything, Right. Same thing is true in, in, in temptation. I've got to predetermine, make a decision now of how I am going to handle that. Michelle read in this, and I, when, when I'll pick a passage of Scripture and I'm looking at that for a sermon, I'll usually go through several translations and kind of see what each translation will say. And then, um, if you don't ever use this source, there's a great source called blueletterbible.org because now you can pick up that verse and you can read it in its original language and you can go word for word of what it meant in its original language. It's a great resource if, if you've never used that, Blue Letter Bible. And um, I'll do that. I'll see what did it mean. And you know, when it talks about Potiphar's wife and her temptation, her, her desire for Joseph, and I think the NIV may have said it too, uh, it was that she would go on and on about it. It wasn't like 
this one-time thing. Every day, Joseph was being tempted. And I would guarantee you that every day it was a little bit more severe. That it probably didn't start the first day with grabbing his robe and pulling it off of him. It probably just started with a little flirting. Maybe the touch of a hand. But every day it began to progress greater and greater. And the Bible says that it went on and on. And probably the writer could have just said, and on and on and on and on. She wanted this man, and she was going to have this man. Joseph had predetermined in his mind, this is how I'm going to handle this. I think probably from the very first time that he realized, I don't like the way that she said that toward me, or I didn't like the way that she touched my shoulder, or I didn't like the way that she made an advancement toward me. I think he began in his heart and his mind then and there to predetermine making decisions of how he would handle that woman making her advancements because he was able to withstand. We have to make a predetermined decision. How will we handle temptation when it comes? Because if you wait until the temptation's there, you're not going to be ready. You know, they say, I, I've made a really good friend here lately. He's a deputy sheriff and had some great conversations with him. I've talked to police officers, military people that I've had, you know, in my churches. All of them will tell you they are so trained that when they are put in a traumatic emergency situation, the, they don't think about the situation. All they think about is their training. Their training just kicks in. They've done it so much that that training just overtakes them automatically. Should we not be training so hard for the war and the battle that we face? Should we not be getting so ready because it's going to come? The temptation will be there. The enemy will bring that temptation. Should we not be training ourselves in the same way so when it comes, we don't even have to think the decision has already been made of what we will do, how we will handle it. One of my close friends, pastors, and I'm, I'm not going to share his name. It would shock you. Is this, this is one of those guys you would think, nah, he would never have to deal with anything like this said that there was a lady that wanted to be counseled by him. And he said she was coming to the church, and, I, and it was during the day. My secretary was there. I had associates there. Like our offices here, we have uh, our doors have glass windows so you can see in. He said, so I didn't think anything about it. She would come in, and he said, there was about halfway through, I realized she's trying to get too close to me. And he said, but I didn't do anything about it. And he said, one night we had an event, a prayer meeting in our church. And after the prayer meeting was over, he said, I was one of the last people at the church. I thought everybody was gone. And I went in my office, and there she sat. And, and she said, you've done such a wonderful thing for me in counseling me and helping me. I've watched you, and you're working too hard, and you're burning the candle at both ends. You need to sit down, and you need to listen now. And he said, I was exhausted. And I sat down. He said, after that meeting, we got up. And she caught me at my door and she said, nobody would know. He resisted. He got home. The very first thing he did, he said, because of a decision I had made some 20 years previously in my ministry, I called an elder in my church. 
And we met, even though I was exhausted, we met that night. And I said, I made a decision in ministry 20-some years ago that if I ever was put in this situation, this was the act that I would do. When I get to church, I want you by my side until I leave. Don't even let me walk away from you for a second. Stand beside me every minute that I'm at the church. You see, I made this decision 20 years ago that if I was ever put in this situation, this is my remedy for it. And praise the Lord, that elder, you bet I'll be there, brother, and stood by him. Nobody else knew why, nobody else was ever told, but stood right by his side until finally that lady realized this is going nowhere and began to just leave him alone and forgot all about it. You see, he had made a predecision, a predestined, predetermined decision in his mind. This is what I will do if I'm ever in that situation. You know what your temptation is. You know what things the devil entices you with. Make a predetermined decision now of what you will do when that temptation comes. The last remedy, the last way for us to overcome this is just to rely on God's strength. Rely on God's strength. The scripture tells us that we are to rely on God's strength to fight off temptation. Think about this, Ephesians Chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Isn't it funny that this is the same word that James used when he talks about how these schemes, these desires entice us? The devil has these schemes. He knows. He knows what you're going to be tempted with. He knows that your temptation is not the same as someone else's, and he knows exactly how to hit you and when to hit you. Surveys even show most people give in to temptation when they're under stress, weariness, exhaustion. Those are the times. The devil knows that. Of course he knows that, and that's when he's going to come. And so Ephesians tells us, hey, put on this full armor of God. This is, this is the way we rely upon God's strength. Um, Michelle's parents, when we, were, uh, we would go visit them in Ohio. We would always walk down to a lady's house. Uh, she was a, a farmer. They were, she went to their church. Uh, she, she, she passed away a few years ago tragically in, in an accident. Uh, but Jean was just an incredible, incredible woman. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, every year when we'd go, she would just bring her four-wheeler up to Claude and Evelyn's house so that my kids could just ride all over their farm on it and, and uh, just loved this one. Well, Jean was a shepherdess and had all kinds of sheep. And um, just, you know, the, she would come show us the sheep. We'd go around, walk around and everything and learn more about them. And so one year we went and she said, came over to the house, she said, you'll have to come see my llamas. And now this intrigued me, you know, and, and I even got pictures of my wife clipping llama toenails, if you ever want to see that. <laughs> and so, uh, Michelle, we went over, the kids went over, and we're, we're looking at the llamas. And then, of course, you know me, Jean, why do you have llamas? And she said, because of coyotes. She said, I had coyotes that were getting into my sheep, and uh, they were killing, killing some of my sheep, and, and I've tried everything. 
She said, you know, I, I'd read somewhere that you could try this. I, I stuffed a dummy that looked just like me and, you know, stuck it out in the field, did nothing. Still lost sheep. She said, uh, then they said to get some uh, loudspeakers and play really loud music. She said, all that did was keep me up all night. Still lost sheep. Coyotes were coming. And then she said, out of blue, one, another shepherd she had met said, get a llama. And I'll never forget how she explained this to me. She said, you see, pastor, it's like this. Llamas are ignorant. And they can't see things off in the distance real well. And so when they see something, and they're not sure what it is, this is what a llama thinks. Huh. I wonder what that is. <laughs> you know what I think I do? I think I'm just going to run straight toward it and run my head right into it. She said, that's what they think. And I'm like, how do you know that's what they think? Because that's what they do. She said, the llama actually attracts the sheep. And the sheep get to know the llama, and the llama gets to know the sheep. And so anything that the llama does not know or recognize, it charges full blast, full steam, head first into it. Since I've had a llama, I've not lost one sheep to a coyote. But I've found a couple of dead coyotes. We ought to be llamas, all right? We need to be Christian llamas. And when temptation, when the devil comes, huh, what's that? I know what I think I'll do. I think I'll just lower my head and run right into that. What did Joseph do? He ran. He ran. Matter of fact, he runs right into prison. He runs right into being falsely accused, lied about, but he ran. We've got to rely upon the strength of the Lord God Almighty. We cannot overcome those temptations without his strength, without his might. God is not tempting you. He has never been the author of your temptation. It is our own evil desire that brings temptation. Temptation is not a sin. It is only when that desire gives birth and we act upon that temptation that it becomes a sin. And sin leads to death. Be predetermined in your mind of what you will do when that temptation comes. Make a decision now on what you will do so that when that temptation comes, and as James said, when that temptation comes, you will be able to stand and rely upon the strength of God. <laughs> He's your llama. And he has no fear. Rely upon the shepherd to defeat the coyote of temptation in your life. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand with me. I'm going to ask our worship team if you'll come on forward. We're going to close in a song. I want to pray.
and then we'll sing this song, closing song together. Lord Jesus, as we come to you today, we are so grateful and thankful. One, we know we are all in this together. Every person in this room deals with temptation in some way. And every person in this Bible, including Jesus Christ, had to deal with temptation. But yet we also know that we have a victory a victory through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us to overcome temptation. So Lord, today, let us know the temptation is not a sin. It has not come from you. And Lord, let us know that it's after we've given in to that that now sin is entered and sin brings death. Let us make decisions right now on how we will overcome that temptation when it is brought into our lives and let us just simply rely upon the strength of you and you alone the good shepherd and lord will give you the thanks for it as we see victory in our lives over temptation even if we run away and it leads to a hard place let us have victory over temptation and we thank you for it in jesus name we pray amen